Just remember, there's a special place in hell for women who don't help each other. In the culture war, there are no winners, just podcasters. Only a few are willing to risk their lives in the face of some of the dumbest ideas to have ever captured human civilization. Every week, we, Megan Dom and Sarah Hader, humbly accept this mission to bring you conversations that are equal parts stunning, brave, and open to feedback. That's mm. what uh, we thought we might say. I'm not disagreed with it. I'm not open not to any. Open. I'm not open to any feedback, actually. So it goes one open way. to con I'm constructive criticism. No, I'm actually not that open. You're right. We shouldn't have said that. That wasn't true. Um, yeah. Stunning, brave, and uh, disingenuous. Take, it, it is what it is. That's <laughs> what I say. Okay. Um. Yeah, I like that our commenters. I really, I really like that they talk amongst themselves. Mm -hmm. Um. But, Do you feel weird when you're like prying into it? Well, I can't tell if they want us to jump in or not. I think they do, but I also sometimes just like want to let them have their space. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or when they're like arguing about us or something or something that has to do with us, then I feel very awkward and I don't know what to do. Oh. <laughs> and I kind of. <laughs> I mean, there is no better feeling in the world than somebody attacking you in the comments and then somebody else uh, defending, defending you. you. Yeah. Oh. Fantastic, yeah. especially when they get everything right and they they get all the little nuances right and they they defend you exactly as you would defend yourself. Yeah. Honestly, yeah, there is nothing better. Yeah, that is a good feeling. Very good feeling. It happens occasionally. It happens yeah. a lot. Well, it does happen. I think some people get us for sure, and that's yeah. really nice. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess like like what we were saying before. I just I don't remember anything we say when we finish, and so sometimes people say, "Oh, when Megan said blah blah blah," and I'm I don't remember saying that. I do remember. I just yeah, I just remember the general feeling. I don't remember. So so it's also really jarring when they took what I said in a very different way than what I meant than how I meant it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then I feel like, oh, what did, when did I yeah. say that? Did I say that? What? Exactly. I know. It's very gaslighty. It can be. Not not that they're doing it on purpose, but it's, I, I'm very easily convinced that I said something wrong, even when I would never have said that. <laughs> okay. Good to know. You know? Yeah. Um, I, I would be, yes. I'm one of those people that would like, you could force a confession out of yeah Easily. okay again good to know mm -hmm. but this is why i've been i've been insistent that i i don't think you could be the cult leader here yeah you know you have to be the person forcing confessions out of others mm -hmm. yeah i know i know or willing to do that um the youtube has good comments too occasionally um i'm afraid to look at them uh they're actually not bad they a lot of youtube is generally garbage but i don't think ours is garbage like occasionally we get spam because it's like obviously open to everybody mm. but outside of uh outside of that i think it's pretty good actually they sometimes have really good you know useful things to say okay um yeah well well we did a poll and we talked mm -hmm. about it in the episode for everybody uh a little bit we'll, but we'll get into some of the questions a little more here um and some of your comments as well uh 
here's what I thought was interesting. Um, these people are very educated. Like you. Why are you surprised? I guess I'm not that surprised. Maybe I shouldn't be. I didn't think about it at all. I didn't think about what I didn't think about they're, it. Even they're as I they're was overeducated. I was writing that. I was writing that out, and I was like, mm-hmm. "Who knows what it could be?" It's I'm like, not that educated, but whatever. Okay, so you have a master's. Yeah, like you know, you like a fa- taught fake, at a fake college, fake, fake one. But um, yeah, does it count? It it yeah. Let's let's try not let's, to let's be go honest. there. Um, but a um, bit of you have a master's. Um. Mm-hmm. So maybe real ones. We should have yeah, asked. Maybe. Uh, yeah, exactly. Like, right. Because probably not real ones. Why are they here? There are some STEM stemmers in there. Uh, but uh, yeah, they tended to be more my age in my demographic. So yay, me. That's the point for me. Um, what else? They There were more women than men, surprisingly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm uh yeah what else and uh they're pre- uh, pre- very balanced actually politically four percent said four percent of you said you were left um and 30 percent said center left stalin adjacent mm-hmm. 45 said center 19 percent said center right and two percent said right so fewer on the mm-hmm. on the right the far right slightly yeah slightly unbalanced but but pretty good actually like Mm -hmm. the the center is the biggest piece and then the next two pieces are also centers Mm -hmm. center left and center right and then we have a couple of um insane people on the far who might have hit who might have hit those by accident um at least one person commented and said that he did so (laughs) (laughs) yeah uh Um, yeah, I like these polls. Maybe we should just become pollsters. We should be like Ayla. Just I'm a, do hey, I've been I've been a poll I know, girl you love, for a I long love time. Polls. Yeah, poll I used girl. to. Do, I haven't you done. Gotta them. get off the poll, Sarah. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's what we should call it: getting on the poll, off on and off the poll, on and off the poll. That could be the segment. All right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, uh, yeah, but I I do Twitter polls all the time. I think they're super fun, and they always if if they're weird, they provoke a lot of discussion i think i had one that was like kind of ala level gross <laughs> and that one had a lot of interesting comments um but i usually don't they're usually more political than that and not just like outright gross and mm-hmm. force you to do something say something gross or think about something gross yeah um yeah but she was she's the only other person on twitter who what part of the reason i fo- followed her was because it was uh I was like, oh, somebody else is utilizing the poll feature. Like, this is such a great feature and so much fun. And why isn't everyone polling all the time? I actually don't understand why people don't poll all the time because I'm always curious about what people think. Is that her and main polling source, though? I thought she conducts independent polls. She has her own all kinds of polls. But she started, yeah, yeah. like, this was mm-hmm. like many, many years ago when I first found her. Um, it was through, I think, a poll. And it was so exciting to find somebody, just anybody else on Twitter who actually used polls the way as I did, the way the way I did, which was just like to satiate some mm-hmm. kind of curiosity, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And to make them like difficult on purpose sometimes, you know, if they're like a moral conundrum. Right, um, right. Yeah, well, I know I did. So we had a, um, we, we were talking a little bit last time about 
about cheating and cheating in marriage. And I, I think I was saying that like- And you came out as somebody who's pro-adultery. Yeah, naturally, that's what I was saying. Uh, I was talking about how uh, like if the, the, the majority of people I know who've gotten caught cheating in their marriages, it has been a result of the phone, mishandling their phones. So yeah. getting a text message from the other person while they're But, but you also said that you thought adultery thing. was more, there was something about adultery that was not as objectionable to you as polyamory. Oh, yeah. Oh, I said that. That, in, that was the comment. Yes, that was that's the pro-adultery. Right. Oh, yes. Well, look, I think that, yeah, that's right. Because we were talking about this explosion of polyamory. We were talking about a review of this new book. There was a New York Times review of this new book. And um, this come up. The second we stopped recording that conversation, a cover story of New York Magazine popped up uh, about polyamory. Mm-hmm. So we didn't even discuss that. Yeah. Yeah. And that one was nuts. Yeah, I didn't read that yet, but uh, don't. It's exactly what you I, think. I said yet. I'm not going to read it. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. I get. I was. I was kidding mostly, but I do think that there is something. If there's something just a little bit more mysterious and uh, sexy about having an affair than than polyamory, it does seem like maybe. And I don't know because I've never been polyamorous and I've never had an affair, so this is entirely hypothetical. But um, it seems like the polyamory thing may be just a way of like it's a there's like faux accountability or something like you don't have to feel guilty so, so many of them are like i wanted to do it and my partner didn't want to do it but then i just talked to him about it and then he was like oh okay like but because what are they really somebody's being pressured right. into it right um but one of the comments that i saw i think it was from uh jeffrey miller who's diane diana fleshman's um husband, husband. yeah partner i think um, they're married. Oh, okay. Husband um, and baby daddy, which I don't think you say if they're your husband, father of her kids. No. Um, he 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 noted on on Twitter, which I reluctantly you know agree is true that it could be that people are pressured into monogamy as well. But if that's you know why well, is being pressured into polyamory necessarily much worse than being pressured into monogamy? Because you could both of those could be. Um, a state that one partner doesn't want to be in but the other partner is like well if you don't i leave you okay well you can make the argument that all men are pressured into monogamy in marriage mm. so uh it would be so we don't really mm. police that as much because it's favoring the the more vulnerable class which is which is women i mean like why are you know g- gay male relationships even if they're really committed um often they have arrangements where they can you know kind of mess around on the side whatever sex they don't they can't get pregnant that's why Mm -hmm. right you know that's why (laughs) we we can get pregnant but 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 as a result of that they're not programmed to be uh you know jealous and possessive the way a woman would be i mean i'm talking in strictly like evolutionary psychological or terms. i think of women too like because right I, I yes straight men are... yes they're not yeah gay because guys they don't, can't get because, cuckolded yeah your they? husband is never going to get pregnant by somebody some other dude so it's maybe it's just like psychologically easier to accept but i think that i don't think straight men would accept their women like sleeping no around. Um, no you're right you're right uh, but being forced into monogamy, yeah. But I think that most straight men would take would take advantage of the opportunity to 
have extramarital relations if it was more uh, socially acceptable. Like they and, would do it, a, but they don't want they, you to do it. A hundred percent. Like kind of, of a court, like uh, the way a prince and his queen, but then also concubines on the side. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Uh, and I think actually a lot of women would be more accepting of men doing that, like just going off in the side and, and, and having like a side piece if they felt that they were really, really secure in their partnership oh i think that and goes the, on a the lot. primacy of yeah and the, mm -hmm. and the primacy of their relationship and i think that something about the way that divorce has become like super normalized like and, and just leaving relationships and abandoning relationships um even into like deep courtship you know you've been together for five years or whatever and then suddenly you don't feel like it you want to go explore in a van you know um find yourself or whatever um people you know people leave for for reasons that might have i think seemed like silly to people in the past but that makes everybody more uncomfortable in the relationships they're in and probably less willing to tolerate infidelity you know period so i think maybe polyamory could 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 be like a way of us finding a way to 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 still have that you know because mm -hmm. because infidelity would be the death of a marriage or a partnership in a way that maybe it wouldn't have been right 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 50 right. years ago yeah you no know? i mean i think that there's always have been wives who tolerate their husband's infidelities because they know that they're getting something out of it there's right. you know an economic calculus and right. i and, and they're tolerant of it in a way that men would would never be yeah, it would um, never be. And I, I, so that's my thing with polyamory. Like one, it seems like a lot of work. That's my main, my main concern about it. Seems like a lot of work. Two, I don't think it's great for children. Um, and I don't think that, especially if you have young children, it seems like it probably isn't something you should center in your life. Like you're, you know, you're, you're still dating. Like you need to move on and focus on something else, which is your kids and their well-being. Um, and I, I, I don't like the idea of like unrelated adults, like floating around and being so like close to young children mm -hmm. for long periods of time um so there's there, there's a little bit of all those things but also i would be like deeply unattracted to my husband if he tolerated me sleeping with other men you know what yeah I mean? yeah i know it's a like beta if he, if he was move. yeah it was a cuck move and if he allowed it i would just never want to sleep with him again like that's what it is that's what it would be yeah and right. I, I don't know what how much I guess that discloses a lot about what I, what I like in men, but I think that might be what a lot of women like in men. You want a little bit of possessiveness, right? Like you want, yeah. Well, you, you want somebody who has some self respect. Yes. Well, but 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 let's say it's not. You know, we've all decided that it's not a sign of disrespect because we agree to these terms. Still, you know. No, but you want. It's also like you want them to care enough about you to not like that mm -hmm. i mean it's pretty simple i although you know but i will say i mean going back to what i was saying before i i know i mean I, the older you get you just know people you see patterns of behavior unfold over periods of years and uh i definitely know people who've had infidelities in their marriages and they've repaired you know they, they have not split up and they've gone on you know mm. um mm. and you know it was very interesting because you know when i got divorced i suddenly had all these people 
kind of getting in touch with me. You know, I moved back to New York. So I moved, you know, I, I, I got divorced and I moved back to New York where I had not lived in about 14 years, but I still knew a lot of people there. And I had people getting in touch with me who I had like not seen in ever forever, but I had seen them on Facebook and they look like they have these great lives and these beautiful kids and everything. And they would be like, Oh, let's get together. You know, we haven't seen each other. And these were men and women alike. And they would tell me these things about their marriages that were just so fucked up and, and like, you just wouldn't believe it. And they were suddenly confiding these things because I was divorced. And I think that somehow I was like safe to talk about this with, or I wouldn't be judgmental. I, I think that married couples fear the judgment of other married couples, or there's this kind of like tacit competition Mm. who's the happiest or you know like that's why all this you get all this like social media performing you know, mm. performative family happiness um sure. but it was really fascinating and and in a lot of cases and the i mean look it's not like these not like it was you know 20 people but it was certainly a, a solid handful mm. and uh in a lot of cases i thought well this is these people are going to get divorced and uh i don't think any of them did to be honest with you. So what would they share with you that made you feel like they're going to get divorced? They're just like, like they're miserable. Oh my God. Like this has happened. This is a crisis. We're going to therapy. I'm so angry. I can't believe this. My life's ruined. This person has ruined my life. Mm-hmm. Um, but like they go on, you know, and it's just, it, it was so actually, it was like such a beautiful thing to me in a way, because it was like, the world is just broken. Like you just see, uh, you get to a certain point and you just see that all the compromises that people have to make and the kind of, um, just sort of reckoning with your own, uh, kind of limitations and the limitations of your life and not every, you know, it's not going to be perfect. And, you know, everyone just kind of like becomes the walking wounded after a certain point. Uh, but there's something actually really liberating about that. Um, I always compared mm-hmm. it to like, uh, uh, you know, you felt, I, I felt like, you know, it's like when you're younger, you're trying to, it's like, it's like every, I don't know. It's like your life is kind of like this very stiff leather, or it's like this beautiful, like piece of leather, or, or it's like new. And then the older you get, it just gets worn in and worn in and worn in. Um, and then at a certain point, like the, the world, it's like, it's broken in, like you've broken in a pair of shoes but your life has been broken in the way you would break in a pair of shoes. And it's actually, it's, it's sad. It's a loss because you don't have new shoes anymore, but your shoes are more comfortable and you've just accepted them. And Mm. everyone else is wearing broken in shoes too. So that's what you have to look forward to. That's really interesting to me that all these married couples would come to you and talk to you about all this stuff. And I mean, I, I hear, I guess people don't come to me and talk to me about it because for this, for the reason you mentioned that. Well, you're not old enough because it, they would never have come to me when I was 30. I mean, nobody was doing it when they were 30. Mm. Well, I know, I know older people. I have lots of friends. who are. Well, they're not coming to you because you are, you know, a smug married as Jones would have said. Smug married. <laughs> ever, yeah, was that Bridget Jones' diary thing? That was maybe called it know, the smug marrieds. Yeah. What is a smug married? Is it well, anybody you know, who's married or is a smug married? Yeah, I, well, I mean, it was a joke in that, in yeah, that yeah. novel, but uh, no, because you, uh, you're not, you, you're young enough that uh, you have, 
you, you haven't failed yourself. The reason they're not confiding in you is because you haven't failed yourself. So oh. you are a little bit, they, you, they fear you're going to judge them. It, once just, you, I failed myself. Well, I no, disagree. no, no, but you're not divorced. Your marriage hasn't oh, failed. Okay. So, so if my be, marriage fails, quote unquote, okay. then they feel like they can go to me mm-hmm. and I'm not going to judge them. And that's actually a great place to be in, in life. Mm. Like it's just a, such a much more human way to walk through the world where people uh, like I, aren't afraid of, yeah. they can open up to you. Yeah. And it's just sort of like, okay, well, we're all, we're all here. And, you know, I, I'm sure that that's cope and all of mm. that. Mm. Um, but actually, and what I'm describing actually is, is cope. I mean, the way that the word cope is used now, um, it's really, and I've said this before, I, life is nothing but cope as we would agree. And, uh, you know, the, it's, I, the, but it's so interesting that like the way of patho- the, the way that cope has been pathologized, like to me, and I know that you agree with this, I, it gets bastardized on Twitter, cope and copium and all that. But like, to me, if coping is a sign of being emotionally regulated, mm-hmm. uh, so I, I don't like the way pure cope has been like weaponized into this loser thing. I might... I agree with you broadly that cope isn't that bad. Uh, it's not a, it's not a, it's not a terrible thing to engage in. And in fact, it's often true, you know, like it's often, it's, it's not just like, yes, this makes me feel better, but also it is true. <laughs> you know, it is an, it is a true fact that also makes me feel better. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I guess one of the things that you know, anytime you, you tell me about all this stuff, like I get very, like, I feel like I'm an alien sometimes because I don't have, like the sense that I'm competing with a bunch of other married couples or people in general. Like I don't have that. So I don't feel like this pressure to be a certain kind of married person or even to be married. Like, I think if I, I don't think of divorce as failure and I wouldn't have like, and I wouldn't punish myself for being divorced if that's what it came down to. Um, it's just something that happened. You know, it's like an really maybe, see, but I think people are going to be surprised to hear that because you are very, you know, you're. I know you're in jest. You're tra- you're, you are trad in certain ways, and you're not. Yeah, but why would that mean ways, that I don't? Because I would I think wouldn't... that you would think that people should stay really, really, really try hard to stay married, especially if there's right. But if involved. but of course, if they can't, they can't. You know, why mm-hmm. would you judge somebody for? It, it, it's it's a it's an odd thing to judge somebody for. Um, unless it was like deeply flippant, you know, unless they made a bad, mm-hmm. like a very bad choice, but often they don't like often it really is there. There's something about the incompatibility. That's not something they can work through. And it is a two people affair. So you really can't, even mm-hmm. if there's somebody to blame, it's really usually not one person. Um, and to the extent that I think that there's just a lot of relationship failures going around society has a lot to do with it and the messages we give people about what to expect has a lot to do with it too Mm -hmm. yeah um so i don't i don't think i would even consider a failure to myself you know i think i think about it all the time like if if i got divorced in five years i wouldn't have i wouldn't think of my life as a failure and i wouldn't have i wouldn't think of my marriage as a failure it would just be you know kind of inconvenient probably and tough to deal with in the moment Mm-hmm. Um, but I just don't, I guess this is just not how I'm, I, I'm, c- c- I conceive of it. Um, but it's, 
sad that many people do and then you know can't open up about their problems because it's probably true that a lot of people have problems and they find you know they have thoughts that they can share with you or you just maybe you just don't feel so alone like one of the one of the reasons that I'm glad that I had like a serious relationship before I only had one serious relationship before I found my husband um but it was serious and it was like like throughout my college years and I'm 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 glad I had it only because it was when I went through the same problems and patterns with my husband, I didn't think, oh, this is the end. You know, only right. we are going through this. And that means there is something deeply wrong with this relationship. I just knew that that, you know, I've I've been through this before. Mm-hmm. It's a communication issue or, you know, the first year in a relationship, things start to break down. You have your first fight and it feels terrible and you know, the limerence goes away and right. you're not, you're not, you're not that in love and how that feels. I already knew what that felt like. So I didn't make too much of it. And maybe that's the biggest, you know, that's the biggest negative and downside of people not being able to open up to others is just to recognize that in, maybe this really is a molehill and, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that change in worldview might be enough to make you comfortable with a reality that was previously un- unbearable. Um, I, I read this really good book that it's, I, I mentioned it a little bit in, to, um, in the comments, um, it's called 4,000 weeks. Um, have you heard of this? No. Um, time management for mortals. It is by Oliver Berkman. Oh yeah. Oliver, Oliver. Um, and it, it, it it's just like it's really surprising. It was surprising how much this book like hit me, like hit home, like really deeply. I thought it was going to be about time management and it is not about time management. <laughs> it is um, really about looking at your time in a different way uh, and finding that sense of acceptance. I want to draw kind of a distinction between cope, you know, like just finding a way to pacify you know the the horrible thoughts in our heads and genuine acceptance which i think is a positive emotion and brings a lot of relief and copium copium cope uh mm-hmm. is just uh it's a temporary measure you know you you have the cope for now and then something else aggravates your insecurity and then it, you need to cope again mm-hmm. um but i think that there is something about what genuine acceptance of your own limitations and the limitations of your life um, can bring you. And it's just, it's just positivity, you know, and, and a sense of gratitude. Yeah. Which which I think we could use a lot more of. Um, And a big part of like, uh, the the, the interesting way that the book um, brings this message home is that it just uh, talks about why we're like, we're just so obsessed with maximizing our time. But when you think about it, in the you know uh more broadly we have four thousand weeks which is crazy did you know that that that's the that's average life. human lifespan yeah four thousand weeks mm. isn't that devastating yeah it's the worst thing it it is terrible um and you've spent a good bit of it right that's i the know other thing. It's like, uh, i only actually have spent this it many well weeks left yes uh, but How you many know when you think spent, about it uh, podcasting and writing <laughs> garbagey magazine articles yeah but that is not a bad thing. You know, the fact that that's what, that's how you lived your life. 
there is no point to one regret. There, like that's there, I don't want to ma- waste another. I only have a certain amount of weeks left, and I don't want to waste another hour regretting something that I can't change. Um, and I also don't want to fight against something that I can't fight. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know, live in the present as much as possible. And that's a message that this book drives home really well. That all you really have is a present. Um, and so much of this time management, like desire to be like the perfect productive person is a way to escape from your present, um, you know, and looking into in tomorrow, I will get it all together. I'll have time for my friends. I'll have time for my children. I'll write the book. I'll do, I'll do that tomorrow. And so I'm just racing forward, um, and trying to, to get, be as productive as possible so I can get to that tomorrow. And that's really, really horrible way to look at life i mean and we do that when we're comparing ourselves to others too we're just not in our present we're in this you know it, we're living in somebody else's life but it just it doesn't make sense um yeah it's deeply tragic actually <laughs> yeah yeah one of the best pieces of advice i ever heard it was ira glass actually from this american life i remember this was like I I used to know him a little bit, like maybe over 20 years ago. And he said, you know, if you have, this is a creative piece of advice. He says, if you have an idea, do it now. If there's a, if there's a project you want to do, just start it now. Don't say, oh yeah, I definitely like, I'm going to put that on my list. Like, I'd love to, you know, do a podcast about this or that, or I would love to do that. I think that might be interesting someday. Start it now. Everything takes longer than you think it's going to take. Mm-hmm. and uh your your life is limited like yeah. why why are you saving all the good stuff i mean it's so it's it's hard though too i mean like i think that's a good piece of advice but then the problem is there's, there's just the sort of economic uh reality is is that you end up having to i anyway end up having to do a lot of just dumb little stuff to get it off off my plate or meet a deadline or something and then the big important things are always backburnered I think that's yeah, pretty yeah. pretty common. Uh, I mean, but that happens to all of us all the time, right? I, yeah. mean, I mean, and it's not as if, if, if we think about our life that way, that if we never achieve something deeply meaningful to us or, you know, or standard that society has set for us, that our lives are meaningless. Like, they, what would you say to, you know, somebody who's a cashier, and, you know, the best that they do in their life is that they graduate up to, you know, store manager, but that is how they're spending most of their time, you know, and then they have maybe a wife and kids, but it's, uh, you know, or a husband and kids, but it's not, it, it is taxing. It's parenthood. It's not easy. Um, I, I wonder if, you know, if thinking about our lives that way as like only meaningful, if, if you know and then there's a big if and that if is if we achieve this kind of prominence in our career if we write you know this excellent book if we you know um visit all these countries and i wonder Mm. if that is in itself like a deeply like pathological way of viewing our 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 own yeah lives that we are actually living you know right which are good in in themselves, they are good, and the only thing it's a, it's an attitude shift that you know will will can can allow. You know, my my parents don't suffer from this, you know. Mm-hmm. Like my parents are not they're not Westerners. They don't suffer from you know 
accomplishing this big thing and we got to do it. We gotta, you know, like, you got to achieve. But they want you to achieve. Be somebody. Not really. I mean, they, they want me to have a good life, but they it's not as if they're living through me so deeply. I think they think they have kind of accepted their life as their life and they don't, mm -hmm. they don't, didn't have expectations beyond that, but they're also happier for it. You know? Well, okay. I have a couple of questions, but I'll come back to those. So I'm thinking like they, you know, this, the cliche, the unexamined life is not worth living or whatever it is. The over-examined life is also a problem, but I'm, you know, you're talking about the cashier. Okay. Uh, the Jordan Peterson argument, which I largely agree with, is that this is why it's so important to have family, because the vast, vast majority of people are not going to be intrinsically satisfied by their work. That's not going to do it for them. Mm -hmm. um, so this is why it's important. And that cashier. So this gets back. This gets back into like, you know. I, I think that like a lot of our audience thinks about this stuff, too. And I know you and I both do. Like, does it make more sense to get married young and be able to start having kids young and then you can enjoy your grandchildren so that cashier if she had a satisfying family life including grandchildren and extended family that could give her life significant quality mm -hmm. um and so i tend to think that that is true of most people not everybody obviously including myself but um I think the family most people piece don't fully reconcile with that, you know, like right. they fully accept that here are the things that are actually going to bring my life meaning. And uh, I am constantly putting them off, you know, and I, putting off marriage until my, you know, career is super settled well, the and elite, doing amazing. Yes. And I can afford this kind of uh, wedding or till I find this perfect person. You know, like that this person in front of me isn't good enough. I need somebody else. I need somebody more perfect. And it, I mean, it, the book points out that you like this idea of settling for a spouse is ridiculous because you're always settling, you know, either you're going to settle with the spouse um, and you don't even know to what degree you've settled. This is always right. a question whether you, whether or not you have settled at all, but you're either going to settle in the sense that you have stopped searching now you have stopped looking or you're settling in some other way in that every year you do not have a spouse <laughs> you you know are growing a little bit older and you yeah lose you're that settling time with your for, family. for being alone absolutely yeah, you you, you yeah. lose that time with your family your children or whatever so it's it, it, if we start thinking and really embracing the finitude of our life like this is it will end and it is leaving us I think it helps us make wiser decisions about what we choose to do and be less afraid even of making a choice. Because I think that that is a big part of modern kind of elite ish perspective oh, yeah. on life that I don't want to choose because then I don't have, then I can't make this better, right. more optimal. I choice. think it's great to have choices foisted upon you often. Well, then it's not a choice, I guess, but it's, it's not a choice, but I mean, that's the way it used to be. And that's why it was yeah. so much easier for, you know, for, because they were, they just had to do it. No one, you know, there was nothing. Right. Now I mean, have... was it? E yeah. Well, okay. But I'm thinking about the cashier. Okay. I'm thinking about the, the cashier with the boring cashier job. Like she's not looking for, she's not involved in like hypergamy necessarily. Or well, maybe she's involved in hypergamy. What would be this? A, a, you know, assorted mating or whatever we're calling it. She's not, she is probably going to like have kids with somebody, enjoy those kids hope that she gets some grandchildren and enjoy her life. I don't mean to like idealize 
the you know working class or anything like that but like she's not going to be sitting there saying like oh i could i got to achieve in my career i got to get promoted to assistant i do manager. think there's something about the fact that they don't have a lot of like amazing future opportunities that forces them to live in the present in a way that we don't and should you know like mm -hmm. it, because that is all we have um and that's a book that, that that's a point that the book drives home really well that that is this is all we have and if we're not able to enjoy this very moment then we, we are only losing you know even if that means like we're planning for the future or regretting the past but we're living in another timeline that's not the one that we're actually living okay but how do you square that with the virtues of delayed gratification yeah i, I mean he I th he struggled with that as well because it is it is the case that obviously some amount of planning is important and useful um i think it's just a it it's the the future is not inevitable it's not guaranteed to you um it is it's a hope that you're working towards and that the present should not come like should not be totally deprioritized in you know for this right. future right. um yeah I read that um, this book from it's when breath becomes air. It's a, it's a book by uh, Paul Kalanithi, Kalin, Kal, an yeah. Indian doctor, um, American or Indian American, Indian American, American. Indian -American. Um, and he was uh, almost finished with. I mean, that this is how the story like unfolds: is that he's thirty six years old, and he is completing his um training as a neurosurgeon and he's this incredible life ahead of him and he's this deeply talented person um and he gets diagnosed with um stage four lung cancer uh and so he you know just like that this this future that he had been working towards forever um vanishes and he has to face the limited time he has in front of him and the fact that his future will not be like all these dreams, all these visions are gone. And now he only has this time, which is incredibly precious um, because of how limited it is. It was a um, it's a really beautiful, really beautiful book. Um, and I would I don't think he ever finished. I don't think he finished it. I think no, other people wife, put it together for him. The doctor, yeah. uh, Lucy uh, Kalanithi, finished it for him. Um, there's an incredible story with her. So around the same time that book came out, um, there's a book uh, by a guy whose wife had died. So this guy, John uh, Duberstein, uh, his wife was uh, Nina Riggs, and he wrote uh, The Bright Hour. So she was dying of breast cancer. But that book came out around the same time as When Breath Becomes Air. And then Lucy Kalanithi and John Duberstein began dating. Oh, <laughs> Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think that they broke up. Um, I'm actually hmm. looking this up right now. Um, but that okay. was, you couldn't even uh, make that up. There was, um, <laughs> there, um, the quote that you mentioned, he has it in his, uh, in his book. Um, if the unexamined life was not worth living, was the unlived life worth examining? I thought that was uh, mm -hmm. like an interesting way to spin the little little phrase around um but beautiful book and a mm -hmm. uh, beautiful reminder of the value of the present and i think that when breath becomes air what he's, he's referring to 
that state of calm, right? Like it's like a Buddhist. Um, oh, sort of meditation thing. Right. Like just yeah. being purely being in the present. Um, it's, I mean, I, I can't, I'm not a profound enough of a, you know, or, 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 or a talented enough of a speaker to make it sound like anything but a cliche, but Paul does a really good job, I think. Did you read it? Did you read the book? I didn't read that one. I've read some of these. Um, yeah. I can't uh, meditate at all. Can you? I meditate. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Well, I can't. Not, I don't know. Who knows if you're doing it right? It's one of those things. Like, am I doing it right? I guess I'm doing, mm-hmm. it, I'm doing it right. Um, it took a long time to click. And I do think it makes things easier and better for me. Really? It's hard, though, because success feels odd. You know, Like, do you do it at a certain time every day? Like, do you have a mm-hmm. practice? Really? In the morning, yeah. Oh. Yeah. For how long? Not long. Um, 10, 20 minutes. Not long. Like, you just sit there? Yep. Wow. Well, I, think- I, I have the guide. I, I, I have um, some guided meditation, like, uh, lessons and apps and that kind of thing um not sam harris's although maybe i should take a look at his again uh there was somebody else's some other uh that i used to that i that i started my meditation practice with hmm. really enjoy it yeah but it's that the the whole point of of the meditation is just to be present and to teach right. yourself to be in the present and it, it is such a such an unintuitive thing it is so difficult to do and it feels pointless. <laughs> like that's the thing that's, that I struggled with was this is so pointless. This is so pointless. And I have so many things I want to think about and so many things I want to plan. And here's this guy telling me to stop, mm-hmm. to stop doing that. Um, yeah. It, uh, I really want to go on, on a ayahuasca retreat. This is what I. Oh, really? Yeah. I've been, I've been looking into it. They're like super seedy. Some of them. Well, you well, can. it's illegal. Would you do one, like, would you go to South America to do one or would you do one here? Like in some well, here, there's like, they're seedy. That's the thing. Like here, they're seedy. You got to get into the right, like circle, social circles. I don't have time for that shit. You know, like I can't, I'm not going to worm my way into like a Really? I could hook people. you up. I know a lot could of people. Could you? Who- yeah, I've, okay. I haven't done it myself. I, okay. I mean, I, I'm very, Let's do maybe it. we could do, we should do it in live do it together for the podcast. Okay. We'll be throwing up. That's what you do for like. Yeah. You shit <laughs> most, and you throw most, up. Most of it. Yeah. Beginning. So then we'll paywall it. Okay. So what we will okay. do is we will, we will do it as a podcast. And then as soon as we're done with the throwing up part and it gets good, we will put the paywall and then you have to pay to hear the rest. Okay. Sounds good. That's good. I would genuinely, I'm. in all seriousness i want to do it and i've been looking into it but the um the ones in south america are like seven days long like they're i mean some of the some are three i know and i would be afraid i would just get some like kind of like you know bug disease like disease or infection from some totally unrelated way (laughs) i don't know like that's the problem of going to like peru you know like i don't want to go it's, it's a long flight and it's it is legal there, though, so you, they can get you medical attention if something horrible happens. Yeah, but in a they Peruvian are very, very... hospital. Right, not, exactly. Not to so be that's, uh, xenophobic. Right. Yeah. No, no, but yeah, that, I, I, I agree with you that that's, that's the concern. You can join a church in America 
and uh like it, it's so interesting but there are like churches that are who have because there's like that loophole in america that you can if something is a um part of your practice like some native american oh yeah you know belief system then you can do it <laughs> and so there are churches that you can sign up for and you become you you're part of their church now and one of their practices uh, traditions is makes I me nervous know. yeah but that makes me nervous too right like so i just don't know uh i, I just it's all it's all a little bit i i don't want to do it in a country where it's illegal because it makes me worried about like if i need medical attention they won't take me there oh well you know they're or, probably used to it i mean but they okay so you're not afraid of your own mind, because I'm very interested in it in, as well, that I feel like there are so many corners of my mind that I don't want to go into because it's like upsetting or shame or guilt or something like that. And I just would just rather leave it alone. Mm -mm. And I know that's exactly the reason yeah. people say that's why you should do it. That's why you should do it. That's why you should do it. I, I bet it would benefit you more than it would benefit me because psychedelics in the past have not like deeply benefited me. I've just had, you... I've enjoyed them and I've tried them, but it's like, I've just been like, oh, okay, this is cool. I guess. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I haven't done psychedelics in a very long time. Because I don't think there is an emotion I'm, I'm afraid of confronting or a feeling I'm afraid of confronting. I'm wanting the ability to value my present and the people that I have in my life deeper. Mm -hmm. You know, I want to be able to see them better. And I, I noticed that a lot of people come back um, from these kinds of retreats and they say that their, you know, marriage has improved. They, you know, you know, started speaking differently to their parents and formed a closer bond with them, that kind of thing. Like, that's what I want to do. And I talked to a woman who is kind of autistic and she said that she went to an ayahuasca retreat and now she is much better at communicating with normal people. So that's my other, <laughs> you know, I have like, noticed I... this. Uh, yes. I have heard people say this and I noticed that it lasts for about a month mm. and then they want to do it again. Like mm -hmm. the, the, it's, it's so great. It's so amazing. It's changed my life and I need to now do it again. Like, it's like they need a, like a booster. Yeah. Or they continue to do it. Yeah. I mean, I don't imagine it's a permanent fix of anything. Nothing is a permanent, because it's not a permanent, it doesn't permanently shift your brain chemistry. You go back to your brain chemistry, whatever it did for a short period of time, you saw something with mm -hmm. this totally different, with this toxic, you know, chemical in your brain, you, you form new connections, but they can easily be, you know, you can easily go back to your old ways of thinking, but that doesn't make that time where you felt better, not valuable. You know, mm -hmm. like if I, if I had an ayahuasca retreat and I threw up for three days straight, but then I had a much stronger bond and relationship with my family and friends for six months. Well, that's pretty good. You know? Like, yeah. I don't mind that. I don't think you throw up for three days. You throw, you you throw, throw up, up for like days, an hour. You throw up a lot. You, throw, you do throw up a lot. I think you throw up a lot. You feel so You have like light purge buckets. cleansed after. Oh my gosh. I'm going to, I'm going to throw up a lot. I know that I am. You lose anyway, weight? I don't know if you lose weight. Do you, you have some of the nicer you have retreats to that have great catering bit. and stuff? I know, but you do all that. The amazing, you have this amazing experience. And then afterwards, you've lost a few pounds because of all that barfing. Perfect. That's fantastic. Yeah. Okay, I'm have going to Canyon do it. Ranch. It's like a cleanse, ayahuasca, it's colonic, all in one. Okay. We're going to do it together, aren't we? Like you've committed. You're, oh, my you, God. That's what you've. That's a new level. That's a new subscription level. 
Okay. You could right. get the ayahuasca level. Were we going to talk about something else? No, I or... don't know. What else did we have? We had um, that Washington he... Post article that was ridiculous. Oh, uh, the New York Times article, you mean? Oh, no. Yeah. The New DEI article. Yeah. yeah, whatever. DEI, blah, blah, blah. Stupid article. DEI. So. <laughs> Yeah, it's exactly like every every like it's exactly what people will think they're about to get. But nevertheless, we were both annoyed by it separately. So I think that's that that means that it's a uh, annoying enough that it's worth talking about. Yeah. Yes. Um, although the the reporter did say that he 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 was very active in the comments, uh, jumping in there and, and was saying that this was perhaps part of a series and that he was going to cover this from different angles yet what was really irritating about that piece was that it was about how people are growing wary of dei um and there's all these right and 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 that the anti-dei movement is being led by far right-wing grifters and this should not be surprising because they're a bunch of racists and etc etc and like and and the commenters were like uh dude you're missing the story yeah it's not that at all so the piece is called america is under attack inside the anti-dei crusade by nicholas confessory confessory or something like that some Mm -hmm. um you know there was a time this is there was a time where a very ethnic name like that would have been changed in america like Mm -hmm. you would have just felt like okay we need to we need to anglicize this name uh and they would have found a way to do that but now now you can just keep the vowels at the end of a yeah it's at good. the end of your last name and it's fine i don't know i don't like it i i think we should go back to i i would anglicize my name how would i do that hater it already is it is it is pretty it is german a little bit but that's yeah just, germans had to change their names i wish i had changed my name but we've been over this yeah hatter i could be a hatter no haters but let's sell you, you could just take the i out and then you'd be like bill hater or something okay. just h-a-d-e-r mm-hmm. that's what you could have done great okay um, okay yeah so this this article here's what's lots of things are annoying about it the graphics are kind of it's one of those that is that, that yeah. their team spent some time on it They're, the team <laughs> is doing some uh some uh pyro coding there. some yeah mm-hmm. and, and it's like uh, it 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 has a fun little look to it um but they basically they went through a bunch of emails what did they do did they hack the emails or did somebody hack the emails and hand it to them of uh, a group of activists conservative activists and academics uh who were organizing around dei so uh, how did they never said how they get got it right um thousands of documents obtained by the new york times cast light on the playbook and the thinking under underpinning one nexus of the anti-dei movement the activists and intellectuals who helped shape texas's new law along with measures in at least three other states the material which includes casual correspondence with like-minded allies across the country also reveals unvarnished views on race sexuality and gender roles um so they just they, they got a bunch of emails from uh people it was uh, a lot of them were affiliated with the claremont institute um but some were just activists outside of it and like you know it's an email chain basically um and uh, lots of documents grant propo- the documents of grant proposals budgets draft reports correspondence uh and uh you know it, it's it's it it is framed as if it's this like groundbreaking investigation into a secret yeah thing the times has learned we've learned we've got uh, thousands of documents somebody's emails like what are you ta- but 
it really is a nothing burger as far as I'm concerned. What irritated me is that they're framing it as if it's something. Mm-hmm. Um, so this piece had a lot of different documents and then they managed to pull out some specific comments from Heather McDonald, who is Megan, you know, uh, yeah, Manhattan she's, Institute, she, right? Yeah. And she, she, um, does a lot of reporting on, on, on crime statistics and she's very outspoken, um, I, I don't think she's a racist at all. She's just a very uh, blunt uh, chronicler of cr- crime she, statistics. She definitely says things in a way that she's on the spectrum. Goes beyond sure. blunt. Yeah, I think. Um, having said that, that doesn't mean she doesn't have interesting insights and is worth not worth listening yeah. to. No, I think I've read pieces from her and have enjoyed them. Um, yeah, I actually think she, she can be interesting. And for the record, yeah. I don't know that she's on the spectrum. Just I was me. I was that was just metaphorical. I mean, no, but she, she, she said things in a way. She it. said, I think there were a couple of comments about the, the framing of it, the way that she phrased it that really struck me the wrong way. Um, like she said, uh, the usual. So it, this was in response to. Um them wondering why the comedian Bill Burr hadn't been uh, canceled uh, for his comments about the WNBA. Uh, like uh, it, it, they, they said that it's because he's married to a black woman. Somebody said that he's married to a black woman, which helps. Uh, McDonald replied. Uh, Hilarious. The usual pet black phenomenon. We are so grateful if there is a black who does not overtly hate us. Oh, that phrasing rubbed me the wrong way. I I feel like Um, maybe, okay, here's my charitable interpretation. I think maybe she was like making fun of that logic. So she uh was saying that they think of it as a pet black and uh she she was kind of mimicking their reductive. Okay. Okay. But, but, but yeah, it's a little, it doesn't land in that context for sure. Right. Well, that's, that's the other problem with doing something like this in general. Like it is so easy to take a conversation and snip out pieces of it and you can make a person sound like a demon because it is, it's often the case that we all say things that out of context, they would sound really, really bad, you know, and that's (laughs) in context. They sound bad on this show. In context, they sound bad out of context. They sound really, really bad. Um, And it's clear to me that they're picking and choosing some of the most, you know, offensive comments that they've found and stick highlighting them. Magnify. I mean, if that's the worst they can make find. the rest of it tiny and make this right meme comment, 20 point, 40 point font. And you can all see how racist they are. And it's so, you know, it's such a, it, it, it's so deeply misleading, you know, and, and I, I'm disgusted by it. I'm, I'm disgusted that this is something considered to be reporting on any level. Um, that people who otherwise I like, you know, and otherwise I might respect, even if I disagree with their political opinions, the fact that they would let something like this slide makes me think less of them. I have a hard time not reading something like this and thinking like, fuck the New York times and fuck everybody who works for the New York times, you know, even though, even though they have so much good work, right. They have so much good work. Yeah. The fact that they let something like this slide, it is so, it is bad in every sense. Like it's, it's, they're make they're implicating things that they have no right to, to, you know, they're, they're drawing lines. They have no right to draw. They are making assumptions about people on, you know, on purpose. They are 
casting shadows over other people yeah, it's who a fake are just story. like loosely affiliated it's by not one a real group. story this is not this is not a th- it is a thing but it is the, a thing in the most just i have been in a lot of weird email chains okay yeah. like i've been in a lot of weird signal groups and whatsapp groups or whatever like i've 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 had other people like rubbing shoulders with people who i don't agree with anything they say most of the time you know and it would be but but we agree on this one thing maybe and we're organized on this one issue but that's that's a very that that that's something that happens and people should be allowed to do that without feeling as if they're going to be you know under fire for affiliating and associating with people who you know otherwise they don't agree with the rest of the, what they have to say but that you have to approve fully of everyone's cv and then anticipate that they're never going to say anything crazy yeah um that could hurt you you know that's, that's a lot to well you you can't you're gonna run out of people quickly i, I yeah you're just gonna have a sense a culture of censorship which is what we have what we, what have. we have is a culture we're, of censorship there. because the new york times is out there you know taking a magnifying glass into you know the email chain you know of, of i know but that's what their readers people. want but see but this is the problem i mean this is like a business model thing i mean i keep coming back to this i don't think that you can we can blame this on like wokeness per se as much as like the business model they are beholden beholden to their subscribers they're not making their they're not making money from ads they're making money from subscribers and this is what the subscribers want i mean it is audience capture it's very much it's although it does look like this reporter um is gonna i mean maybe he'll listen to the commenters and maybe he'll do another he's, kind of he's story irredeemable I mean, uh, you can't get to the point of writing something like this and being you know a person with you know who, who who genuinely goes about their day trying to do good in the world versus just trying to get one in you know, i don't know maybe like he get a, look, score a point for their here's team. my okay my my benefit of the doubt is that maybe he kind of bought himself some points by doing this story and maybe he can now he sort of like allayed all the anxieties of the social justice subscribers and now, so now he can, can actually write, write the real he, story. like let's let's smear a bunch of people innocent people you know or yeah. maybe they're not fully innocent but like who knows like they're just not it's, it's there's nothing no, it's, there's no it's, there's no it's agendized here. i mean they weren't they went looking for evidence for something that they had already decided was true i mean right. michael powell it's interesting because michael powell was like the you know one of the few people at the times doing really good work i mean he he's he has covered i think his beat was officially like social politics culture war issues and he did some fantastic reporting uh and he's gone to the atlantic now so. i mean well what are you i wouldn't i wouldn't want to be in the same room as people who think that this is a legitimate way to go about the world and that this makes sense in a in a in an intellectual climate you know like into in, you can't you cannot be the kind of people who are ready to smear somebody yeah. on like such such you know like like loose ground yeah this is a generational like, divide this is what young people in newsrooms think their jobs are though you know Right, but why are the adults allowing it allowing it to happen? They, uh, are, they are implicated too because they're afraid. Nicholas uh, Confessori is forty seven years old. Yeah, so he's he's yeah. your age practically. He's younger than me, but yeah, uh, yeah, so but same but, generation. But he's not my age. Yeah. He's not. No. He's not. He's not in my generation. He's just. He's doing this because this yeah. is, he thinks that this is probably a, a a a right thing to do for you know for his team, and it's going to help them somehow. I think it's 
just a, it's a repulsive tactic. It's just so it should be beneath them. It should be beneath the New York Times. They should know better than to do this. There was one, um, you know, I mean, I didn't read all of it like line by line because I was so disgusted by the whole premise um, and how loosely they were just connecting all these dots, you know, and it's like, okay, you could paint any, you can, you can, you can say anything if that is what Mm -hmm. you want to do. But they, uh, there was specifically one comment that really annoyed me. There's (laughs) this guy who is a Scott, Scott Yainer, Y-E-N-O-R. How do you say that? Y E N O R. What kind of name is that? Y- Yenor. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It sounds like mm-hmm. I don't know. Whatever. I think we should be. Ang- I I think we should. Everyone should make their name a little bit more. St- we should standardize mm-hmm. our names. I know. I know. Um, a con- so he. This is a conservative Idaho professor. Uh, who who who? According to the New York Times, would come to lead the anti DEI project for Claremont Claremont Institute. So he says. This is a quote from him. Uh, lagging, well, New York Times again, lagging achievement for African Americans and other racial minorities, some argued privately, should not be a matter of public concern. Quote, my big issue in these things is that we do not make the good of minorities the standard by which we judge public policy or the effects of public policy. Whites will be overrepresented in some spheres, blacks in others, Asians in others. We cannot see this as some moral failing on our part. Um, and they, you know, this was like quoted and what a crazy right wing bigot. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. Like, what? Yeah, I know. I agree. I, know. I agree with I know. him. He's well, right. most people agree. The majority what of Americans are you talking agree. about? I know. The I government know. exists for the common good and not for the common, like not for. That's not the for worst a, quote a they can find from somebody. They don't He's have right. a story. People who disagree with this are wrong. You know, that that's that, this is just like a foundational thing about it foundational theory about what the government exists to do and the second that it becomes focused on the interest of a small group it's a bad thing y'all like it's a it it turns out to be very bad but it's not immediately evident to the reporter who's pulling together this piece that this is actually a perfectly fair (laughs) like in fact totally correct way to approach government and it's a good criticism of what the left has been doing at what liberals have been doing and it should be brought up, but uh, no, this is a this is a this is a evidence of his racism. Actually, he's a yeah, bad I guy. Don't I don't know. I don't know what this reporter is thinking. I mean, it it strikes me as a kind of thing where the person he just hasn't been paying attention. But you I can't, can't imagine. I can't imagine like that, he's not paying a attention. A totally normal, like you know, a, 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 a valid political opinion. Put it right next to Heather McDonald's quotes about pet yeah. blacks. Yeah, that also taken out of context, whatever, you know, and yeah, whatever, who knows, but and, and then say, look, look at all this. Look at these people. I know. I don't know what they're thinking. I would really like to know. It's a um, it's a malicious thing to do. It's malicious. It it, it should be beneath them. Uh, and it, it they are not going to stop. Uh, and it's, so it's really hard for me to then because there was also like an interesting um a piece by the um, editorial board, um, like this op-ed mm-hmm. uh, that defended diversity of thought and academic freedom. And they covered a lot of different issues, uh, the Hamas-Palestine stuff, which you would expect, but they also talked about um, 
you know, DEI and all these other like issues. And then that said people should be allowed to, you know, came against uh, pledges, um, DEI pledges on, on, uh, on campuses. So it was like a good, I agreed with it. You know, I agreed with that, that position and I wanted to share it, but then I held myself back um, because I was just thinking, I'm so disgusted by this entity and this group. And I don't, it, it, it makes me almost not even want to, uh, show a good side to them because it Ugh. might you know because because it's then i'm saying look at how reasonable these guys are look at how reasonable the new york times is and then the next click you get this reporting well this but they would say that job. that okay but they would say they would not see it as a hit job i think uh they would it's be a hit job wrong and a, not, I, mean, I agree i agree but a, they would say okay well look this is this is what objective journalism is our editorial board says one thing and yet our reporters have the autonomy to report this story. This that, a, that's what they will say. A, that's what I'm, what I'm saying is that it's not even reporting. You know what I mean? It's I not know. even no, a story. I know. I know. And that's my, it, it, it would be fine if you wanted to, to attack Claremont Institute or the DEI, anti-DEI, you know, activists. And there was a real issue, you know, with what they were saying, they were maybe doing something illegal, you know, something untoward for some reason they're covering right. up some big scandal like there's something that's happening you know, there is no story here yeah Just what's the story that, that there was a private chain of emails and heather mcdonald said some racist stuff like yeah that's I that's know. the story yeah it was it was pretty bad definitely bad i hear you well, well what are you gonna do i don't know so i canceling well, my anyway, i think i will I, I i will say that i agreed with it because I, I i i honestly i i saw the the editorial and i was like this is good like like um it's good that they're standing up for the rights of of freedom of speech everywhere i agree with everything they have to say but the taste of this i know <laughs> of i mean this just i'm lingers. sure there's internal there's internal strife every newsroom is dealing with this there's upper management who thinks more like we do and then there's young reporters. This reporter doesn't happen to be so young. I don't know. Don't know what's driving it. I, you know, there we, we we just don't know. Short of talking to him personally. Anyway, um, all right. Is there anything that's else? That's my four minutes of hate. Okay, it was more than that. Yeah, that's okay. Fifteen minutes of hate. Four thousand. Four thousand weeks of hate. That that's going to be the name of your oh, auto God. autobiography. Um, that you know that could be. That could be like a book that we published together. Four thousand hate. I don't need um, another four thousand minutes of hate, and that's like just a clip of our our greatest hate hit. Uh huh. And we just the hate highlight reel. Just like you know what I you know what I can damn yeah yeah um yeah okay is there anything else we need to address in the, in the comments anyone else uh people enjoyed adam carolla's appearance i am not gonna date adam carolla uh, i think uh, that should, that though. was floated no i think you no. could be part of like a because so so he has a girlfriend but maybe you could be like the intellectual one you know like, oh like on the side yes it's <laughs> you already come he has out like a as hot he has like a hot of... main girlfriend right and but then he's the... got this like when he's bored of her weirdo on the side right when he just needs something intellectual you know he comes the thing is adam's not an intellectual what's amazing about adam is this is just sort of like uh he, he's an accidental uh sage sort, sort of thing mm. that, that's always been his appeal that's, that's true of a lot of comedian types isn't it yeah yeah uh no adam is a master of of metaphor 
And that's, uh, I really wish you could, you would listen to Loveline because I think honestly, like the resilience. I don't understand half of what he's saying. I mean, even in the, in the no, but Loveline we is had, I was like, what are you, in. literally, what are you saying? Yeah, don't worry about that. But Loveline is people calling in with their problems and uh-huh. he and Dr. Drew would answer the problems. And, and it was so amazing because they, it would seem like they were making fun of the callers, but they were making fun of the problems and that in and of itself would would make the problems seem so much less. Mm-hmm. And it was such a great lesson in, mm-hmm. in resilience. And you just don't have that anymore because you could never make fun of somebody for having a problem. I mean, the, the best thing you can do for somebody who has a problem be like, that's not a problem. It's like, get over it. Yeah. Everybody has that problem. Guess what? Get in line because everybody has that. Penelope Drunk is doing yeah. that. She yeah. is doing, she is she holding. She does it, but Adam you know, is, is funnier. She's the last, the last woman standing in the genre of like, making fun of the people who asked for her help yeah but adam and adam would just do it in, in a hilarious way and, and and make fun of himself as well mm-hmm. um anyway but I, no, funny too, though. yeah well in, in Penelope and adam together that would be interesting uh no uh, the reason i know adam is because um i wrote an la times column about him and i think it was like 2007 or six or something uh, when he was on morning radio, uh, K-Rock here in, in LA and Danny Bonaducci from the Partridge family came on to be his co-host. I, I can't remember. He had another co-host and they were great together. And Danny Bonaducci was brought in and I was as an Adam aficionado. I was just, I was like a fan. I was like a, I was like a crazed fan who had a lot of opinions about this. And I wrote an LA times column about it. And, uh, Jimmy Kimmel, uh, emailed me and said, uh, he said, uh, Adam, Adam would have loved this column if, if he knew how to read, but I, I read it to him and, uh, he loved it. And then we ended up doing, um, an event, uh, nice. I interviewed him on stage and I met, and he was married to Lynette at the time. And she was like, so excited that he was doing a, a proper cultural event at the Scarball center. But anyway, so that's, uh, I do not, I, I never, uh, I always, I, I was an intellectual fan of, of Adams. I, uh, I would not, uh. You won't date him. Not what if he asked him. you out? He 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 would not. And and I. How would, do you know he would? I were not suited. I I that he's not. Uh, that that's what's never in my, in my mind. Okay, we'll find someone for is. you. No. We'll go through that. That'll I be. I would never be able to do this podcast. I can't look. I can't afford one more thing on the table. You, that that would be the. The, the right man will the, make life easier for you. You know what? So, yeah. How about how about an engineer, an audio engineer? Yes. Okay. So if you're if you're not going to date anybody unless they have like certain technical skills, right? <laughs> if you could also produce a podcast, yeah, um, Megan will go out with you. Okay. Well, uh, within reason. Just to within take, reason. yeah, to take okay. some time off of her hands, she will go out with you. Um, <laughs> that's right. Like that's yeah. how she'll spend her time. Yeah. Is anything that away. anything that comes, you know, for every book you buy, you got to throw out another one. That's kind of how it is with my uh huh time. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. That's good. We're we're good. Okay. See, All right. see you next time. Thanks everyone. Bye.